A company's got to be future oriented to have the contingency plans together to adapt to rapid change and to be more capable with a management team that is able to adapt. And that's going to make a much better investment for you. Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Market Call Show. This is Louis Giannis. I am the founder of WealthNet Investments. Today, we have an interesting topic, and I'm really excited about diving in, so let's get going. a little bit about following established rules and whether or not it's a good idea to do that. I would say most of the time it is. There are times though where following the established rules can really hurt you and I want to talk a little bit about that and I want to talk about how you can profit from not following the established rules. (laughs) I was talking to an editor for my book and she had said, hey, I want you to write a story about when you did not follow the established rules and it really benefited you because as one of the chapters in my book talks about how I don't recommend that you follow the plug and play established rules that are established by Wall Street because there's a lot of times where that's really not in your best favor or in your best interest. So she said, hey, I want you to write about when you have followed those rules and it has hurt you. And then I also want you to write about when you have not followed the established rules and you've made a lot of money from it. So I just want to tell you a little bit of a story about that. When I got out of college, it was like 1994. I quickly learned that following the established rules of Wall Street and the academic community can really be hazardous to your investment performance. As I was starting off my career as a professional investor, the stock market had started to really rip roar higher and investors saw back-to-back years of really huge growth. And the world was totally enamored with the internet and all things dot-com. My finance training at that time really had indoctrinated me with the common wisdom taught in the business schools and what was taught in the Chartered Financial Analyst curriculum. And if you're not familiar, the CFA or Chartered Financial Analyst curriculum is considered the most rigorous, highest level designation in the industry. So I was well indoctrinated with industry wisdom. Well, that wisdom asserted that you should focus your attention on trying to value companies and invest in stocks that had excellent valuations based on detailed fundamental analysis. Now, this way of thinking, it's still predominantly the biggest method used today on Wall Street. And at first, when I got started in the business, the method worked pretty well, and it was working actually very well in the market. But then something really strange happened something that was never taught in business school or the CFA classes or anything like that, my stocks that had great fundamentals started heading down really hard. And the poor quality companies that had no earnings that shouldn't be moving higher were just skyrocketing. And it was going on for a long period of time. In fact, it went on for over two years. My firm started losing assets at that time to mutual funds that were buying these momentum stocks. They were investing in everything.com. And although we were following a disciplined process and had done well for investors over many years, it was starting to turn the other way and people were leaving and buying these funds that literally had nothing fundamental underlying it. 
these investors, they were, it's almost like they were hypnotized by greed and they were just throwing away the fundamentals. And many of the best strictly fundamental managers saw their portfolios get slashed in value. It wasn't just us. In fact, Warren Buffett, he's one of the most famous value investors out there. He saw his portfolio in Berkshire Hathaway crash in value going down over 50% during this period of time. It was really, really brutal. And then all of a sudden, everything reversed. In the year 2000, all of those poor quality stocks that had been just killing it, the dot-com bubble crashed, and all the stocks with good fundamentals started moving higher. So it reversed itself. But if you were a buy-and-hold investor, investing in the conventional wisdom, you would have suffered tremendous losses well over a decade because most of the stocks that you had invested in, in the indexes, which was very common at that time, crashed. The NASDAQ went down huge. And in fact, the stock market did not hit new highs for many, many years, over 10 years. So if you had retired, say, right when that happened, that really would have hurt you. And there was negative rates of return for a long period of time. So it's really, really important that you don't follow the conventional wisdom at all times. I want to share some of the things that I've learned over the years that can improve your performance, some guidelines that at times are contrary to what's popular on Wall Street folklore. I've developed models to help really deal with these problems. And the first thing I want to talk about is how you select your companies has a lot to do with being in the right spot. The first thing I like to look at, I call it ADP. The first letter A stands for adaptability, and the second letter D stands for desirability, and P stands for profitability. So when you focus in on these areas and you use technical analysis, which I'm going to talk a little bit about more, it really can help you avoid a lot of these pitfalls. So let me just kind of back up a little bit and talk about that. First is adaptability. A company is considered adaptive based on my model if they can thrive when the industry is having rapid change. I learned about how important adaptability is in my first job as a financial analyst intern at Inologic Trace. This was a publicly traded company. It was a technology service firm. There was a spinoff of DataPoint. And Inologic Trace at the time when I worked there, they had large government contracts selling services for mainframe computers. And this was back in the 80s. I was in the corporate financial planning division, interacting with all the financial departments. We needed to talk to all the finance departments because our job was to forecast financial statements and help the chief financial officer make decisions for the firm. Our first task when I got there was to analyze the profitability of divisions across different countries. So we built these models to look at which divisions were profitable, which weren't and why. But little did I know As a young analyst, uh, I was green, and I didn't know anything really. I was just crunching a bunch of numbers. But little did I know was that there was rapid change that was about to kill the business. This is a big company. The personal computer, which I was totally enamored with, was becoming more powerful and cheaper to run than mainframes. So a lot of the uses for mainframes was you, you just didn't need the mainframes as much. And as a result, there was less need for those mainframes, and the PC was just taking over. And this suddenly impacted Intelogic Trace because we had huge inventories and parts that were becoming obsolete. News came out that these huge government contracts that we had, which were the lifeblood of the company, they were about to be renewed and they were not going to be renewed. So that was the money that really kept the company going. So we were scrambling in our department, developing models to repair the finances to stay alive. 
We were analyzing how can we cut expenses? How can we close divisions? How do we lay off people? How do we buy back our bonds that we had publicly traded bonds that quickly went from high grade to junk status? And I learned in that job at Inlogic Trace that our company really didn't have the adaptability that you would want in a good investment. They didn't have that mindset that was future oriented. They were just resting on their laurels. And I saw how an established business can evaporate and become worthless very quickly because of rapid change. And the point I'm trying to make here is that a company's got to be future oriented to have the contingency plans together to adapt to rapid change and to be more capable with a management team that is able to adapt. And that's going to make a much better investment for you. When you're ready to turn your piece of wealth into peace of mind, go to wealthnetinvest.com and click on the schedule a call button for a free consultation and a portfolio review. At Wealthnet Investments, we are invested in your victories. Well, now I want to talk about this ADP model. I'm going to go to the second variable. It's called desirability. In my model, desirability has to do with how the company focuses its attention. And what I found is that companies that keep their attention focused on their customers and doing things to provide more value for their customers have high desirability. They create new products and services that help these customers succeed, and they're highly desirable businesses because they strive to be unique because they're designing things, they're designing their products and services not by copycatting their competitors, but by listening to their customers. So they're not copycatting, they're listening to the customers and therefore they have something unique. They anticipate customer needs, they listen intensely, they're constantly developing new capabilities that the customer wants and they are actually shaping the future rather than being a slave to the past and doing things the way they've always been done in the past. That's a big deal with helping you do well in the investment world. The last part of that particular part of the model, the P, the profitability section, that is something that's more numeric, but there's some things that are not numeric that are important. The companies that are great investments, they really become more profitable over time. We know that, like stocks go up as long as profits are going up in the long run. So in the short run, a stock can go down or go up even though profits are going down. But in the long run, they have to have those profits go up. So companies that have the ability to raise prices would be the first thing to look at. Can they raise prices so they can match or exceed inflation? That's really a good sign, especially in times like now where inflation is really starting to pick up. You want to have companies that can, what's called pricing power, they can actually increase their prices. The other thing is that it's better to find companies that don't require a large amount of capital that they have to invest in order to grow their business because every time they want to grow that they have to have huge amount of investment in equipment and human capital, things like that, that generally hinders profitability. So the prospect for higher profits is even better if a company has intellectual capital. That's one thing that I like to look at. And what kind of know-how do they have processes or an illegal advantage, a legal advantage that the other competitors can't easily match? That's something that I want to look at for profitability. They have to be able to attract new customers without spending a lot of money. You want to make sure that you avoid companies that struggle to gain profits because all of their money is just going out the door trying to get new customers. These are really some of the most important elements to look for when you're trying to assess profitability. A lot of people talk about profitability, but I like to clearly define what that means. And all these factors can increase the profits over time and help you make a good investment. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. And I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about why technical analysis is so important. Because one of the things I was talking about, like when you've made mistakes and what I learned during this whole dot-com thing, 
And what I learned also is that it's important to actually analyze the supply and demand of the investments themselves, not just the fundamentals, because the prices can lead the fundamentals by a large margin. So this whole field of technical analysis, which is the ability to analyze the psychology and the supply and demand of the markets is really big in helping you do a few things. First, it helps you identify when change is happening sooner than other people can. And also it helps you identify ways to manage risk and to take money off the table when there's big change happening. So that's what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today. If you ever have any questions about investing or anything like that, just let me know. I'd be glad to chat with you about that. Be sure to like and subscribe. Go to wealthnetinvest.com and check us out. If you have any questions, you could always schedule a call there. It's really easy to do. Just hit the schedule a call button and I will talk to you later. For the latest episode of The Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a review and comments. Information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. 